Um, it's a medium-ish sized coffee house, I think. Um, exposed brick, kind of like an, an oldish feel that it seems to be going for. Like they didn't have the money to make it nice, <laughs> but it's intentional feeling. Okay. Like, I don't know how you, how you just feel about how the spaces are different. The fact that we're like telling you to think about it now as you're going into yeah. it, you know? Uh-huh. And this is one of the spots. And this is one of the spots, yeah. Welcome to What Builds Us, a podcast that uncovers the ways our built environment affects our emotions, experiences, and our day-to-day lives. I'm Chantel. And I'm Brian. And this week, we're going to go a little crazy, leave the uh, comfortable confines of our studio, and go out into the world. Outside. <laughs> the great outdoors. <laughs> actually, com- actually, we'll be inside the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> we are going from insides to a different inside to a different inside, along with our friend Ivan, who you're going to hear in a moment. <laughs> My name is Ivan Ruiz Knott. I am a graphic designer, uh, dabbled in school briefly in architecture, but um, I'm more just like a casual observer of it than anything serious. I like nice things that look nice. (laughs) Us too. Um, So can you tell us where we are and just describe it? Uh, We are in the Pavement Coffee House, one of the Pavement Coffee House locations in the Fenway neighborhood, but closer to Berkeley than the other one. There's a few. Um, It's a medium-ish sized coffee house, I think. Exposed brick, some exposed utility things. There's some um, poorly painted drywall um, that seems intentional, uh, unused fireplace that might be fake. Um, and people are mostly working on stuff. I think some people are just having coffee and talking, but a lot of laptops out, notebooks, books. Um, it feels like a comfortable uh, communal living room. Yeah, I think that's you've painted, done a good job painting a picture. I totally agree. It feels like a communal living room, which is totally what they're going for. It's like this public space. I think it's important to note that this is a place for a lot of students. It's a place uh, that people do come and feel casual, but it, you kind of have to pay a price for entry, right? Like you can't, I mean, I guess you could if really, but they might eventually ask you to leave. You, you have to have a certain income level and be at, at a certain point in your life to, to come here and spend a lot of time here, to be able to afford a $4 coffee, I'd say. Yeah, so I don't go to that many coffee shops. I really like the, the idea of a coffee shop as a public space. Um, something I don't know, though, that I'm always curious about is, like, People like being around other people for like the low din of conversation that it causes. But I, um, something that's been like a persistent thing for me lately is uh, just like wondering how people meet other people. And I don't know how you do that in a coffee shop necessarily. Like if you were sitting here talking to Chantel about whatever you're talking about, like at what point would it ever make sense for you to talk to someone else? Like it feels like there's a certain privacy in the anonymity of being in a coffee shop, which is like cool. But it, like, for me, in some, for some reason, it feels like a waste of being around people. Yeah. 
And I think it's it's true. I think because of you mentioned this place feels like a living room, which I think it totally does. Its materials, the way you use it, the seating arrangements, everything. It feels kind of like you you own a little bit of it. And when you feel that way, I think you're less inclined to talk to other people compared to, say, even on the street where you're all out in a place that doesn't, it's not private in any way. I think then you, you're more inclined, you're more open at least to talking to other people. Yeah, this is more like you're in public but not in public. Like there's, there's um, an expectation that you won't be interrupted here. Yeah. Yep. So that's why even when we were talking about, um, like, how do you, do you just go up to people and you start asking them questions? Like, I would feel more uncomfortable going up to someone in this room and asking them their opinion on architecture versus someone on the street. Yeah, and our argument would be that that feeling is created by the design of this space. So I, um, a friend of mine in college started this thing. <clears throat> Sorry again. A friend of mine in college started this thing called Free Intelligent Conversation, which involves holding up a sign that says Free Intelligent Conversation and waiting for people to come up and talk to you. And it looks ridiculous. It feels uncomfortable. Uh, You feel like a really pretentious person doing this, but it creates like very overt and explicit permission for people to interact with you. Um, I've been really interested in like other ways to do that, and I don't know that... um, I can't think of too many ways that a space can subtly suggest that you should talk to people. I have noticed in some airports, they're, um, instead of just like the, the, I don't know what you call like the bench, I don't know if it's bench seating, but like the long strips, instead of those long strips of chairs, there'll be like these smaller clusters where like two chairs will kind of be pointing more in. So it like suggests maybe if you sit there that you should have an interaction. but I mean, like, in this coffee shop, like, people are sitting on opposite sides of this table, but it doesn't, like, there's no, there's no understanding that that means you can talk to them. So, like, for me, it seems like you'd have to have very explicit signs that are, like, if you sit at this table, this means you're willing to talk to other people who also sit at this table. Yeah. And that feels, like, too heavy-handed, I guess, if you put signage. Well, there's, um, there's a coffee shop called Three Little Figs. It's in Somerville. Mm-hmm. And on the walls, there's signs that say there's no laptops allowed on the weekends or on holidays. They encourage you to sit with strangers, so to ask for permission to sit with a stranger and to share your table and, therefore, also share your table with other people. If there's an open seat, you should allow someone to sit there. And so it kind of encourages more of that overlapping of intimate space and public space. But I agree. It's like there are ways, um, especially, I think, with the hype of public workplaces like WeWork and things like that, um, the ways that work environments that I think t- people typically find in coffee shops, there's more of a creation of collaborative spaces where these different implications of how immediate space is surrounding you that encourage or make you feel more open to invading, to talking to each other, you know? Well, so do you think that's like um, a function of what the space says it's about? Like, I guess I'm curious if there's any way you can arrange a layout of a space where, like, it's a coffee shop, people are used to doing the independent energy thing, but somehow, like, because of the, the spacing or the distance between things, it's like... Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the expectation in a place like this is created through what we would call program, like the fact that this is a coffee shop, has this sort of loaded cultural meaning about, again, who belongs here, but also what those people do here. 
and the architecture in my mind could totally could mess with that if you uh, in subtler ways than a sign I think long seating is one way that people have historically done that if you think about even like a like a German beer hall right those are super long tables but the pro the, the way you use it is different you know drinking beer is more social than being on your laptop and having a cappuccino um, so I think furniture is a way to do it but also I think uh, if this was actually felt like less of a living room you might be more inclined to talk to other people um, and I think some of the other places we'll go from here will feel a little bit more like that that they're less private yeah I think we're good on stop numero uno yeah You know that's a thing. There's here's a fun new architecture term for you: biophilia. It is Whoa. the it's the like uh, what you feel when you are in a space surrounded by like natural things. Oh my god! Oh, Thank you so much. Oh. Just drop wow. my hand. <laughs> That's no, 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 so cool. Sure. I had the opposite thing happen to me in Rio de Janeiro where someone took a thing from me. <laughs> and I'm like, I was just like just a little shaky that I'm like, oh no, what, what's good? And you were given a thing back. Yeah, that was so kind. It's like a reverse <laughs> mugging. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like such a, that could be a, a movement. I think it's interesting, like you're totally, when you walk around, or at least when I walk around in a place like this, there's so many people and they... They're just, they come from so many different places and different ages and races and genders and, and like they're here for all these different reasons that you can feel like you don't have a connection to them or often I feel that way. Mm-hmm. And then so when someone comes up to you and like gives you a thing that you dropped, which they totally didn't have to do, it like now I feel totally differently about this. So he's like, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've always felt like people move faster and the buildings are bigger. And then in the areas where I feel like buildings are shorter and smaller, people tend to move slower (laughs) and interact. And that's always how I've felt, but I don't even know if, is that something that you ever think about? Um, I think I do, because we, um, I I now live in Davis Square, and there's something about the density of it that feels comfortable. Like, it isn't impossible for me to. And what are the buildings like there? Um, they're like not higher than three stories um, in like the square area and then it's just a bunch of residential um, and I feel like something about that means like there can't be that many people because the buildings aren't super high and so if you meet someone there's a chance that you'll see them again and like for me that feels like helpful in terms of my appreciation for a city yeah I am um, I have a friend who's um, in the process of doing this like five-year exploration of different cities in the world to figure out which is the best city or country to live in. Like I think since hearing him talk about it, I've just been trying to think like what would be an ideal like built environment to live in. True. And I think it is something with elevation change, with a consistent style of architecture, like maybe um, one of those like tragically colonial places. Um, I like that, tragically colonial. What, what in Mexico are referred to as Pueblos Magicos? And it's no, like magical town is what it means. And it's just like, the architecture is really nice and consistent. And like um, here, like, I don't know, I feel like they just phoned it in on this brick building, $6.99. Um, like, what, why? <laughs> it is attempting to look like something and I just feel like they did a really bad job. Let's go up here. Um, all right, so.
So, we just walked inside. Maybe you could, Ivan, just tell us where we are and, uh, and describe it for us. Um, we are in the foyer. Is this called a foyer? Sure. What would you call it? Lobby. Yeah. In the lobby. lobby. <laughs> entryway. Cool. The entryway of the Boston Public Library. Um, I assume this is a bunch of marble everywhere. Lamps. It had like a very like symmetrical feel as you were going through it. Like that. It's I think nice. it's interesting that you react so strongly. I agree. I would say it's all marble. Um, it's very ornate. Mm-hmm. There's, there's very few contexts in which like ornateness feels appropriate or cool to me. Like, I would hate to live in a place like this. Um, unless it meant that I was exorbitantly wealthy, in which case, like, I'd find all the king. Yeah, like, if, that's what it, if that's what it have to do. Um, to be wealthy, sure, I'll live in a mansion. Maybe you could uh, talk about, if you have any ideas about, like, what libraries are and what you do there and who goes there, all those sorts of things. Mm. I don't know recently what libraries are for um, because of the internet. It's like an ignorant comment to make. But I feel like it is It is one of like the few institutions where it's like truly for everybody. Um, you don't have to pay money to go inside of it. And the, I think like the ostentatiousness of uh, building this lavish for knowledge, like that's cool. I think it's like, if this were for I don't know, something else that was exclusive and people didn't have access to. I feel like, wow, guys, City of Boston, that was unnecessary. Yeah, um, I do think that there's something to, to be said about how this is like made to look as a public space in the past and how mm-hmm. the new part was approached. Now it is in the different like emphasis on what materials and everything and practicality of like what we're going to use and why we're going to design it that way. I was just going to say, I'm, I'd be curious like in this old section of the library, um, I don't know what collections they have that people use. I know there's like that study room and people study in it. It's a beautiful space to study in. But as far as like accessing books or checking things out or whatever, I'm curious like how many people who come into the space use the library as a library and how many people use it as like a tourist stop um, versus like the newer section of the library which seems way more utilitarian. Mm. Yeah, I mean we could go find the space and see how people are acting in it. So... Ivan, you were talking about in pavement how you feel like one way to get people to talk to each other would be to kind of give them directions, right? To like subvert their cultural expectations of what a coffee shop is by telling them like, hey, go talk to strangers. What's so interesting about that space to me is there are super clear directions. Do not talk to strangers. I think one architectural point which you brought up, Chantel, which is I totally agree with, is the contrast between the ceilings in, in Bates Hall are 30 feet tall, really, really big. All the lights are above your eye level, so you can't actually see the street, you can just see the sky. But all the things you interact with are low. Low tables with lights pointing down to chairs and to a surface. So there's this space that kind of floats above you, but all your all your visual interest is really low and very personal. One of the things that I've always felt with really grand spaces with really high ceilings is that people become a lot more aware of their impact on what's around them because if they make even a very small noise you hear how it like echoes through the space this used to be blocked yes um and so now we're kind of we just left the courtyard and are in where we're witnessing the new space but i think we're kind of still in the transition period 
Yeah, so to give some history, so we're kind of all on the same page, as this kind of graphic, there's a graphic on the floor that describes this. Um, Charles McKim, this very famous Boston architect, designed the original building in 1895, and then Philip Johnson, another really famous American architect, uh, designed an extension to it in 1972 that was then renovated, I think, within the last, like, two years to establish some deeper connections between the two spaces. Mm. So we're walking now from the old into the new and the kind of, like, updated new. Um, a very contemporary Apple store, uh, swaths of glass uh, mm. on the exterior. Um, yeah, like, the materials... There's something that feels like builder grade <laughs> about some of the things. I think because there's a newsroom and the arrangement of this furniture on like these movable carts, I feel like it gives you permission to use the space. Um, like it explicitly gives you permission to use it in a different way. I think the important part to me is we've talked about how uh, a combination of the architecture and what you do there changes your expectation of of kind of what that space is like and how you talk to other people in that space, say, like, with the coffee shop, the fact that it's a living room and you pay to get in makes it sort of feel like it's very private. Mm. When you come into a library, which is super public, and they're doing this thing that you don't usually associate with a library, I think it changes your expectation about what you're supposed to do there and what the quality of that space is like. Very different than the symmetry and ornateness of the other building. So if we go. Are you on? Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's go to like this. That's kind of similar. Is that the thing with the letters on here? There's hmm. something that's like covered in letters. I forget. Is it all the books in the library? <laughs> it's all the books. I mean, you open it, and it's filled with There's words. There's pages. <laughs> um, so we've left the. We walked into kind of the uh, the old original part of the library. Very grand, big stair to kind of allow movement between spaces. Mm. We're now in this new part, uh, which has a space that uh, serves a similar function, but I think has a very different feeling. And maybe if you could describe it for us. This space. I don't know if that's cement. Is that some? What did you call concrete? It? Concrete. It's like concrete tile-y things, and it's just this big squarish courtyard feeling thing. A lot of windows at the top. Yeah, just like we wanted a grand space, and we thought we would go with the minimalist approach. Mm. Um, so here's just walls and light and space. Uh, it feels like pared down. Um, trying to evoke maybe a similar feel, but in a very different way. Yeah, I feel like you can see the comparison, the fact that there's, like, giant ceiling um, with a giant window, mm -hmm. and there's two stairs on either side of us leading up. So that symmetrical aspect is sort of in both. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because I would describe it as contemporary. It's way less ornate than the original, mm. right? They've replaced marble with concrete, mm. uh, but there's a similar attempt at making a grand stair there's a similar attempt at this lighting from above that kind of glows. Um, it's much, actually, it's much larger than it needs to be, this space. You mm, could accomplish I a see. similar thing of bringing people between levels with a super, super small stair. But they chose to make it large and grand. There's this huge American flag hanging above us. Um, I think another thing that's interesting is, again, this space is trying to, is, serves a, the same um, function as the stair in the original library. Mm. Uh, and above us are all these reading spaces that have a very similar feel to Bates Hall, but no one is taking pictures here. Yeah. No one is. There's no selfie sticks here. No selfie There's sticks. There's just way less volume of people, mm. even though probably in the architect's intention, 
it was meant to be kind of a counterpart to that original stare. Mm. I think like something about contemporary spaces feel uh, less intentional. Um, like the really, really old building feels super, super intentional. Like the Apple store feels super, super intentional. There's like a clear decision they're making about like how they want a place to feel. Um, and a space like this uh, feels kind of just like unimpressive. Like there's some details that are like appreciable and it's like, I get it. Like this is, makes sense to do it this way because we need something like this. Um, I, yeah, I guess like maybe outside of this space, which is, it is kind of impressive. I think it's interesting to think about your what you total what you bring up is a, a cultural understanding of style mm. and of the ways that we make buildings right like you're reacting against what i totally agree is the default way of renovating spaces it's to hang ceiling tiles and pop some fluorescent lights in there and throw some vinyl on the floor and call it a day uh, which i think is a total it's totally reasonable to re- to react against that what's interesting to me is when to me, that approach and the, the space that we're in are completely, they don't relate at all. Mm-hmm. But I think without the background knowledge that I have about like the historical movements behind it that made a place like this and the, the actual architect who designed this space and who did the renovation, all that kind of nerd stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's super easy to draw a parallel between yeah. this very default, boring, and super ugly mm-hmm. space that is what you're describing, and what, to me, this grand entry that we're standing in, which is super divine and beautiful. Yeah. I think it's the communication of some of these contemporary styles to the everyday user. People would probably appreciate a space like this more if they knew why it was designed this way, but I feel like for a lot of people, they just connect this design with a lot of those other designs that we're talking about. What I really like about this space is we're talking about kind of all the ways that the design can change what happens in a place or who uses a place. And this part of the library is much more, I think, uh, rooted in what a library does. We're seeing a lot more families. There's a kid's space upstairs. There's a lot of people working. It's less crowded. And this moment is a, is a, a, this space kind of celebrates all that. Like the other library, that that room, the the hall, that Bates Hall, Bates Hall, Bates Hall felt very serious. Like I would have to be like a really um, diligent student if I was gonna like spend time in that space. Like this here just seems like I'm interested in learning things. I'm gonna like I'm gonna learn some things and I'm gonna look up some books. And I think this is the place you would actually come to to find a book that you want. And the other space is like they're decorative. Um, I always assume that. I don't know why. I've never seen anyone that I've confirmed as a law student, but I assume everyone is studying law in there. And I assume that they're all surrounded by encyclopedias. <laughs> and that's just like, I look at it, I'm like, oh, a thousand encyclopedias and a thousand law students. <laughs> like, I think that's a totally universal reaction to that space and then to this space, I totally agree. And I think that's a combination of everything we've been talking about, everything from the details to the massing to the materials, and also to just your cultural ideas of what, what you do here and what you see other people doing here. So, so something that I'm curious about is like the the types of places that invite interaction um, and how like the interplay of public to private maybe changes that. Because um, I think like knowing how 
like non-discriminatory libraries are, I think makes me feel there's maybe a lower chance that I'd have something in common with these people, whereas a space like Pavement is like, oh, these people are like my kinds of people. Like if I were to want to strike up a type of, strike up a conversation with somebody, like the library just feels like too, um, too public or too random. Like this is a more like, it's so general that it's hard to find connection. Right. And, and like, I feel like a, like a bad person in some way for, for like wanting a more discriminating space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, isn't that strange? It's funny because I do think that a lot of architecture students will approach their design. Like I hear a lot of people being like, everyone is always so separate. How do I design a place that brings everybody together? And then my critique is always like, I think you should look more into the reason why people go other places. If you, I think, understand why people are separated, you can understand more effectively how to bring them together if you are going to because you know why they don't want to be there or why they don't go there initially, you know? Private seems can be quite clear to me who is meant to be in this private space, but the public level exists on a whole spectrum, Yeah. you know? And I think that's what we're trying to get at throughout all these conversations is like, who is the public, where does each public belong, and how does the building kind of convey who it wants its public to be? But Sorry, someone's trying to talk to us. It. Hi, ma'am. Um, you're actually not supposed to videotape here. Oh, we're not videotaping. It's just audio. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. All right. It's just audio. Okay, that's fine. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, you weren't supposed to videotape. I know. I guess it makes sense. Yeah, there's a. There's I a guess lot. we look kind of professional. We do. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would seem, perhaps, that there was someone else nearby with a camera. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of what that's. Yeah, suggests. yeah, yeah. Let's hit it. That's right. okay. So you guys are the architects. Um. So. We started in Pavement, in the coffee house, and now uh, then we went to the public library right down the street. We've now crossed the river into Cambridge from the campus of MIT at the Status Center. Um, and Ivan, as per usual, if you could just describe what you're seeing to us. So it looks like a kid drew a building, and then an architect was like, that's a real building plan, I'll build it. Um, or design it properly. I guess architects don't build. It doesn't make sense. It seems like much more expensive to build a building this way. There's like a, this like big steel. Is that steel? What is that? It's concrete. 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 There's a big concrete pillar going up, like not straight up, just like to the side. There's like very few right angles. The exterior material is being brought in to the interior, so there's brick running from the outside wall onto the interior wall. Very whimsical building. Yeah, I would describe it as it's a series of overlapping volumes, cylindrical Mm -hmm. volumes that run into each other. And when they have all these weird geometric collisions, instead of resolving them, they just get chopped up. So you can read from the outside, it looks like these kind of series of uh, slanted tubes that hit each other and they have different materials. And then on the inside, you think, oh, it'll be kind of resolved and regular, and it's not at all. You're now, like, inside those tubes and inside those volumes, and all these weird intersections are happening. Yeah, it looks hastily thrown together, and, like, they didn't have time to clean up the drawings. And it's like, well, I guess the architect said that it has to jut out into this space five feet. Um, so let's just make it like that. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of, in my head, I always thought of it as, um, like, there was a, a bunch of blocks, and then someone tipped them over, and mid-collapse, it was frozen, mm. and then the building was designed like that. Yeah. I think that's an excellent description. 
would you compare this, Ivan, to in terms of how much you think about the architecture as soon as you walk in? It, it definitely seems like the most overtly, like, showy. The, the Boston Public Library was definitely ornate and, like, wonderful, but it seemed, like, appropriate, like, because that is a style that you've seen before. This is just, like, very much, uh, I think, like, iconoclastic in a way. It takes not taking itself seriously very seriously. Yeah, so in terms of it, we've talked a lot about the level of publics as we walked into places, pavement, even though there is some barrier to entry you could just breeze into. The library, of course, anyone can just go into. We had trouble getting into this building. We kind of had to tail an MIT person who could tap in just so we walk, could walk in. But if you are part of the institution that is MIT, this is a completely public place. Mm. It feels like you'd feel like this sense of like communal pride um, mm. or like a connection about like we're, we're working on important problems and um, this space is uh, like open to us and unique. I seem like Gary isn't uh, like an easy architect to get hold of. There's also lots of art and much like you were saying it feels very thrown together. I would say the application of art also feels very thrown together. It's not like framed in a museum or a very clear mural in a way that it was at the library. It's like big prints and things falling over and yeah. I think it does imply this sense of like participation in the important building at an institution. Like you can still interact with this like very famous building by a very famous architect but you can draw on the walls and you can post things anywhere and no one's going to tell you. So there's still this like level of connection that I'm sure that the people who go here feel like they have with the space. Can you describe what we're seeing right now, Evan? Um, we are seeing ourselves and the space we are in um, distorted uh, by a funky mirror. It's mm-hmm. like funhouse mirror kind of thing. It's curved. It's like 15 feet tall. It's concave. There's a thousand origami birds floating in the air behind us. (laughs) It's a very fun space. I feel silly working from here, but maybe creative at the same time. Yeah, I think a way to think about this building is it's very labyrinthine. Mm -hmm. So right now we're walking up a staircase. I would never have guessed there was a stair here. There's what looks like exterior windows next to us, but we can actually, we're just looking into more interior space, and there's volumes floating in that space. There's people working. And now at the top of the stair, there's the actual outside, which doesn't feel like it should be there at all. It, it feels like intentionally ex- exclusionary. Like it's, it's whimsical and interesting. It's like wanting you to notice it. Like it's a very, very um, conspicuous of a building. But yeah, like getting in here, I didn't know how we were getting in here, where the entrance was, or like anything. So it's like a, it's like a very publicly private place. You know, to who's outside? Like you have no idea. There's a thousand things. There's a thousand ideas. It's almost like dreams and thoughts are existing in here, abstractly. And the process of going to school in here is like going to bring it into reality. And I think that that reflects almost onto the building, like this very cartoonish design somehow is made real. Like an imaginary fortress. Yeah. Where crazy things happen, like robots and AI. Did we not turn before? Did we, like, screw ourselves over? Once, I did a downhill mountain biking trip with some friends, 
and there were so many spots where it was like, we've, we've reached the bottom. This mountain was very tall, and we've gone to the end of it. And then we would um, hit a spot where we could see further down and be like, wow, we're still on top of the mountain. And I feel like this has a similar feel to it. Like, we keep getting to a place from like, this is the bottom floor, because yeah. we just passed by that thing where that thing wasn't on the bottom floor. Yeah. And but it's like, we're still, there's still more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the way that all these spaces are put together is really hard to understand. I feel like this should be a map in like one of those first-person shooter games, and like the lasers can't go through glass. It'd be so frustrating. Like, I think it would be an excellent hide-and-go-seek uh, location. Yeah. It reminds me of the space that I used to have this like laser tag place in my hometown, and it reminds me of that. What a waste of a building. This should really just be a laser tag place. Mm-hmm. All this dumb science. Yeah, who needs it? <laughs> Right, so, I mean, I guess I was like, we just accomplished everything, and thank God we, we made it on the battery. Oh, yeah, battery. Oh, no, we just got a low battery warning. So, any uh, any final thoughts you have here, Evan? I was just going to say, like, uh, walking around, or, um, yeah, like, walking through a city with architects is cool. This is fun. Thanks for letting me, uh, yeah. I don't know, like, after having gotten into here, I just like want to sneak into more places and work. It's so quiet. Oh, it's so quiet. Wow. What a great memory. Loved exploring with you, Ivan. Thanks again. Thanks so much, man. So we just went through some really great interior public spaces in the city of Boston and Cambridge. Uh, but remember, stick around next week, and Chantel and I will talk you through some really great spaces around the rest of the world. So remember, as always, if you want to see some great pictures from our adventures, you can check out our Instagram. That's at coalesce.design. And as per every week, there's a, a great blog post up on our website. That's at coalescedesign.org slash us. has some great pictures and drawings of uh, the spaces we talked you through today. And as always, if you want to support the show or, or just send us your thoughts, you can email us at info.coalescedesign at gmail.com. What Builds Us is written and produced by us, Chantel Trombley and Brian Sanford, and our mastering and music is by our good friend, Will Gooding, and you can find more of his music at thorns-roses.bandcamp.com. See you next week. Thanks again. Could you, maybe just for the purposes of this, could you describe what, what happened as we were standing in the, the library? Oh, yeah. So we were in, we were just outside that one room. Bates Hall. Bates Hall. Um, and someone who was undercover approached us <laughs> and told us that they were, but that they were lying about being undercover and that they're really good. Um, and it, it, they, it was strange. It was definitely bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird experience with a stranger. 